in, in Mark chapter 12 as we continue our journey through the gospel of Mark this morning. And I want to start with a question for you, just kind of to think about what is it that gets your attention? I mean, we live in an age of stimuli all the time hitting us. We're just bombarded with all sorts of stuff on our phones and TVs and everywhere, and and there's so much activity going on. What is it that kind of interrupts that for you and gets your attention? Is uh, Is it when your favorite song comes on the radio and, whoa, that's my favorite song. Is it when you're, you're driving to church on Preston Road and you're passed by a Maserati? That gets my attention. I'm like, wow, cool car. I've even gotten on my phone and taken a picture before of a car that was passing me. Uh, is, it, is it, this has happened to me before, you're, you're in a far off place in maybe an airport and you hear someone call your name. Does that, does it, yeah, I'm sure that gets your attention. There are different things that get our attention kind of triggers for us. Everybody has them. And it is these moments that get our attention that, that cause us to, to perk up, to look up, to jump up, maybe even to speak up, to bow up or to man up. Well, I can't be sure what your triggers are, what cause you to take notice, but I know for sure what causes Jesus to take notice because we have it here in Mark chapter 12. Let's start reading in verse 41. Jesus sat down near the collection box at the temple and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. We just did that here this morning, dropped in our money. Many rich people threw in large amounts and then a poor widow came by and dropped in two tiny coins. Jesus called his disciples and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has to live on. If that widow gets Jesus' attention, then she certainly deserves to have my undivided attention this morning. Now, in his ministry, as we've been walking with him these last two or three months, we have seen a lot of ups and downs in the ministry of Jesus. Um, In Mark 12, if but for a moment, toward the very end of his life, Jesus is kind of able here to to get away from the crowds, although he's in the middle of the crowds, but but to go unnoticed, to kind of go under the radar for a brief period and kind of get a pause, a respite from these waves of human need that continually wash against him, the emotional, psychological, spiritual, physical needs of people. And there he is, right? Right? He sits down in some, I imagine, kind of dark corner of the temple, out of the way, away from the press of crowds that he sees in front of him, and he's unnoticed. And there he sits on a stone bench, and he does some people watching. 
specifically watching the crowds that are lining up to give their tithes and their offerings. And one after the other, the people file by these these bronze collection stations that are, uh, the top at least is kind of looking like a trumpet or a shofar, and they drop their coins, they go through there, they rattle through into the collection box down below, and it's loud. They didn't have paper money back then, okay? They didn't write checks back then. It was coinage dropping through these metal trumpets into the collection boxes. It's clanking, it's loud. And so there they are standing in line, and we see her through Jesus' eyes, kind of shuffling, waiting her turn, this poor elderly widow. And I don't, I'm not exactly breaking, not breaking news here this morning, but, but she's at the bottom rung of the social strata. She's not co- connected like a Jewish political leader. She's not influential like a priest. Um, She's not wealthy like a merchant. No. The beggars, the orphans, and the widows, that's her group. The bottom rung of first century Jewish social standing. She She is used to being overlooked, right? Um, She's gotten good, though, at getting by. That's what she does. Uh, Perhaps she does an odd job here and there, helping to glean a field or watching someone's children or cleaning someone's house. That is her life, figuring out how she can get a few more coins to get by. She doesn't have an investment portfolio. She doesn't receive bank statements. She doesn't have a rainy day fund. She doesn't have a, a... a retirement account waiting for her. Um, It is a hand-to-mouth existence. She just needs enough to get by. One day at a time. One prayer at a time. Just get by. And so she stands among the crowds and the receptacles at the temple treasury. And finally, it is her turn to shuffle by and put in her contribution. And there you have it. Plink, plink. Two tiny copper coins, two leptons, worth about maybe a cent. Now, what would catch most people's attention? Honestly, what would have, if I'm totally honest, what would have caught my attention? It would not have been her. It would have been the heavy hitters. The well-dressed, well-coiffed people, men and women, dropping in gold coins. Some of them satchels or bags of gold coins. This is Passover time. So everybody wants to give their offering and give their very best, right, this time of year. And those folks looked impressive. Their gifts sounded impressive as they clanked and clattered down into those receptacles and they got people's attention didn't they but she got God's attention Jesus watched her shuffle by in those dirty rags that she wore day after day he observed that gift of those two tiny coins he noticed her and he wanted his disciples to pay attention to her 
as well. Come over here. You've got to watch her, he, sa- he tells them. I tell you the truth. He whispers to his disciples. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But as poor as she is, she's given everything she has to live on. And in that crowded space, she is the person who captures the attention of Jesus. She is the one who puts a smile on the Lord's face. Now, yeah, let's be honest. She could have relied on the heavy hitters, right? She could have relied on them to give kind of in her place. I mean, who is going to notice her gift anyway? What difference is two cents going to make in the budget of the temple anyway? She had plenty of reasons not to give, but she gave, right? I mean... Why should she trust her hard-earned money to those crooks like Caiaphas who run the temple? Surely she needed the money more than they needed her money. And honestly, no one would have blamed her for holding on to her money. I mean, she had no family to care for her. She had no savings account. She had no regular work. And there she is dropping those two coins into the treasury, giving it all away. She makes no effort to hold back. She makes no excuses. She gave no directives about how her money should be spent. And so she makes this very quiet contribution with no thoughts being given to being noticed to getting a tax deduction, to getting a thank you. And in the grand scheme of things, two cents, right? It makes little to no difference in the ministry there at the temple, but it made a difference to Jesus. It showed her faith. It showed her faith. She gave everything away just as in two or three days Jesus would give everything away at the cross. So she gets the Lord's attention and he wants her to get the disciples' attention as well. And I think, I think for starters it's just interesting how he sits in this strategic place where he can observe, watch Pay attention to the people making their offerings. And Mark points this out, right? In verse 41, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. He watched people making their offerings. He observed when she put exactly two coins into the temple treasury. Now, this is something I need, I think we need to get this morning. This is on your outline, the first bullet point there this morning. We got to get this. And here it is. My giving, it's a big deal to God. 
It's a big deal to God. I mean, he's locked in on a poor widow who drops two pennies into the offering. He saw what was given by her. He saw what was given by the other folks that were there. He understands that giving is an issue of faith. He knows that our money is one of the things in our lives that can most easily become an idol, that can most easily take the place of God. So check this out. I put this on there as well on your outline there. Jesus taught more about giving then he taught about heaven and hell combined. And of the 38 parables that Jesus told, about half of them have to do with this, with money and possessions. Jesus knows us. So he knew he needed to spend a little extra time talking about our money. The next thing, and this leads to this. Let's focus in on this even more. So, my giving matters to God. It's a big deal to God. Well, Jesus, consequently, Jesus pays attention to my giving. He pays attention to how much I contribute. And if you pay attention to that passage, he pays attention to how much I keep. A poor widow, verse 42, came and dropped in two small coins, how much she gave... Everything she had to live on, he paid attention to how much she kept. Nothing. Both of those. He knew the precise amount she gave, the precise amount she kept. He knows what I give. Perhaps more importantly, Jesus knows how much I'm holding back. <laughs> how much I'm keeping for myself and my family. Look, people hide money. Hide money from the IRS People, business people sometimes will hide money or assets from their stockholders or their board or investors. I mean, come on. Sometimes people will even hide money and assets from their own family, right? No one's hiding any money from God, okay? He knows down to the penny how much each one of us has. Not one cent goes unnoticed right there in Mark chapter 12. He knows what we've got. Now, you may feel threatened by this, okay? Or you may feel like, whoa, that is some kind of invasion of privacy there. But the reality is, your money isn't yours. <laughs> your money is his. It's all his he gives you life. He gives me life. He gives us health. He gives us opportunities. And we brought nothing into the world. And we will take nothing out of the world. It is all His. So instead of thinking about how much of my money I'm going to give to God, why don't I start thinking about how much of His money I'm going to keep for myself? Right? It's like the story of the, <laughs> the story of the rich old miser. One time the chairman of the local charity called on this rich old fella and said, I've been noticing in our records that despite your wealth, 
you have not given even one time to our charity. And that rich old miser replied with a little bit of anger, well, do your records show that my father passed away and left my elderly mother penniless? Do your records show that? Do your records show that my disabled brother hasn't been able to hold a job for years and can't pay his bills? Do your records show that my sister, who's a widow, having to raise three small children, that she struggles to get by? Do your records show that? And kind of quietly, kind of sheepishly, the chairman of the, the charity replied, I'm sorry, no, sir, our, our, our records don't show any of that. And the rich old miser said, well, I haven't given a penny to help any of them, so why would I help you and your charity? <laughs> mm. The truth is, God has been, he's been generous to us. He's given us more than we deserve, and he wants for us to be generous. Question, does God actually need my contribution, right? Are things tight in heaven these days? I mean, there's been some foundation work on God's palace in heaven that's needed to be done, but he's had to put it off. Money's tight. Having trouble figuring out how to pay the bill. No, right? Look at Psalm 50. Got our answer right there. Psalm 50. God says, I have no need of a bull from your stalls or goats from your pens. Every animal of the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains ever, and, and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Key idea here. For the world is mine. And all that is in it. The world is mine. And all that is in it. And the more I walk with the Lord, the more I see that giving is less about what God wants from me and it is more about what God wants for me. God wants for me to be a person of faith. God wants for me to be generous as He is generous. God wants for me to invest in his kingdom. And he wants for me to love him and trust him that he will take care of me. Now, a point of clarification here. I think this is important. This is on your outline as well. There is no condemnation. This is on your outline. There is no condemnation in this story of the wealthy, right? Who can give large gifts? Jesus never condemns that anywhere in the story. As far as I can tell, anywhere else in the Bible, he, does, he doesn't condemn it. There is, though, a commendation of the widow's sacrificial gift. He does commend that. Verse 43, the poor widow is given more than all the others. The rich, their gifts are recognized by Jesus. We find out, though, that the Lord is not primarily, primarily interested in the portion, but he's interested in the proportion. 
He's not so interested in the size of the gift, but the sacrifice associated with the gift. That's what we see in the story. Right? I mean, big gifts are great. Gary this morning talked about some of the things that the, the giving at this church allows to happen right here on our campus and out into our DFW mission field and even to Russia and beyond. I love big gifts. They do a lot of good work. However, faithfulness has more to do with proportion than it does portion, more to do with sacrifice than size. And when Jesus saw the wealthy giving their large gifts, he saw them giving comfortably, out of margin, out of surplus. But he saw the widow giving out of a place of sacrifice. And for this reason, I want to finish up this morning talking about tithing. We really need to talk about tithing, the principle behind it, okay? The biblical minimum for giving that honors God is 10%. It just is. Read the Bible, okay? Now, in this case, we have in verse 44, she has given everything. Now, not to be Captain Obvious, she didn't give 10%. She gave, she put another zero on that, didn't she? She gave 100%. Again, tithing is a minimum. It's a baseline for giving. In God's word, tithing is a, is a simple starting gate, right? 10% of what we earn is a beginning place for generosity to his church, to his kingdom. And my hope is that we would grow beyond that. I think it's his hope that we would be more like her. We'd move more in that direction, the direction of that faithful widow, more in the direction of these uh, brothers and sisters we read about in Macedonia. They were fairly impoverished, but they were generous, right? By the way, never despise the person who doesn't have means but gives. Honor them. Some of the greatest generosity, probably the greatest generosity, comes from those folks. Relatively poor in financial terms, but rich in the grace of giving. Paul talks about these folks in Macedonia, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 to 5. I could testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. They did it of their own free will. I wasn't twisting arms. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift. I love that, the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. I'm grateful that years back there was a couple in Oklahoma, John and Susan, who took the time to talk to Isla and I, my wife and I, about tithing. We'd never thought about tithing before. We thought that was a Baptist thing or a Catholic thing or something else, somebody else's thing. It wasn't our thing. And since then, since they talked to us and opened the Bible with us, each January, take out the calculator, we figure out what 10% is going to look like for that particular year, and that's our starting point. That's our baseline for the year. We've never looked back, and it's blessed us ever since. And you may have heard before, wouldn't surprise me if you had, that, well, you know, tithing, that's an Old Testament thing, right? Tithing, that's a... Now, when I hear that, the snarky 
sarcastic side of me wants to say, and thou shalt not murder. That's an Old Testament thing, right? So murder's okay, I guess. I mean, no, of course it's not. Because that principle existed before Moses ever codified it, thou shalt not kill. It exists after in the New Testament. The same goes with tithing. It existed before Moses. It exists after. It exists today. Abraham, check this out. Abraham lived like 400 years or so before Moses, before there was any written code of law, and he tithed. Not because anybody told him he had to, but because it was the right thing to do. Jacob, same story. Well before Moses, he decided to tithe. So it is a myth, this idea that tithing is irrelevant because it's an Old Testament thing, and I've got that on your outline as well, this myth, the myth, the untruth, that tithing is no longer valid because it's an Old Testament idea. God-honoring examples of giving in the New Testament are never less than 10%. And Jesus... If you're wondering about this, you, you might want to get your pen out and just write this reference out. Jesus actually affirms tithing in the New Testament. Luke 11, 42. He's rebuking the Pharisees, which he does often, okay? But he affirms their tithing. He just encourages them to remember the big things like mercy and justice and not neglect the other things like tithing. So it's a starting point for biblical giving. Now, I'll be honest, well, hey, if you are determined to give less than 10%, you are free to do that. That is between you and God. But we're blessed as a congregation, aren't we? We really are with a, with a lot of generous people, some of whom are financially well-off, some of whom who are not financially well-off, but they are models of generosity for us. Um, some people here, full disclosure, don't give at all. I give to other things, you know. We'll give to the church on a regular basis at least. Um, some people give less than 10%. Now, I want to be really clear. The idea is not for Gordon to make you feel guilty this morning. That's not the idea. The idea is that you will feel so loved, so free, and so grateful that wherever you are, whatever your level of giving you want to grow in that. Okay? That's what we want as a church. Now back to where we started this morning. Giving gets Jesus' attention. It causes him to perk up. It causes him to take notice, right? And maybe that's because Jesus is, I think, without a doubt the most generous person to ever live. I don't think I'd even get an argument from an atheist or a Buddhist on that, to be honest. Jesus is the most generous person to ever live. After all, on the cross, he gave up his life for sinners like me, for sinners like you. Jesus gave freely forgiveness. Jesus gives freely his Holy Spirit to help us. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus gives us the promise of eternal life, not because of any good deeds that we have done, but because of his righteousness. He is a giver. 
And this morning, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you can do that. We would love to help you with that. We would love to baptize you in the name of Jesus, welcome you into his kingdom and into our church family here. Maybe you just need prayers, and we would encourage you to get with someone and pray about whatever it is that's on your heart this morning. Let's respond to this generous giver, our Lord and Savior, as we stand together and worship.